Hi, I'm Pranjal Tiwari, a graduate student at the University of Toronto, and you're listening to The JCR, a Massey podcast where people and ideas intersect. Today, I'm joined by Peter Warian, who will talk to us about automation and the role humans can play in the process. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Um, maybe for identity, I'm a senior fellow at Massey, and I'm a senior research fellow at the Innovation Policy Lab at the Monk School of Global Affairs. I'm also an a advisor to the Vatican on AI and robotics. So we've been uh, working on a project with the Vatican, as well as the International Labor Organization, on the future of work. Started this process around 2016, 2017. I've run the research uh, group on AI and robotics. So going back before COVID took all the news off the uh, airwaves, we entered this with a concern about uh, automation and its effect on, on humans. At that time, and even now, I'd say my specific focus is on uh, industrial robotics. So with that in mind, we looked at the auto industry. Well, the auto industry is about 14% of industrial GDP. It's about 38% of the, uh, the robots. So when people look at um, an auto video of some kind, often there's this octopus-like robots doing spot welding just as a major part of the story, but also as a metaphor. What we went on to find, though, specifically on the relationship between humans and the robotics is the following. How you produce a car in China, in Ontario, in the United States, in Germany is largely the same, with a heavy impact, as I said, of robotics. But what we wanted to look at is, given that most of the robotics wave has come, the first stage of the robotics wave has gone through the auto plants, that's why you see those pictures. What has been the impact of people over time? And specifically, you said, all right, we're going to look at high-tech, uh, highly uh, robotized manufacturing. And as one part of this project, we looked at 53 global automotive sites. And the technologies are the same, but we asked, what does the management really want and need from their workers? The results of that are, are quite interesting. What they need are employees who are highly motivated, communicative, wanting to learn, take risks, and uh, a series of those things that are actually civic virtues. They're virtues of good people in the society. So we start at a level of some technical engineering and some economics, but we come down to issues of ethics and uh, how we think about human beings. Given that this is a... Uh, project uh, sponsored by the Vatican, uh, one of the great changes in moral philosophy since Vatican II has been what's called virtue ethics. It goes back in a way to Aristotle. There are certain virtues that are necessary and enabling of human flourishing. And those are exactly correlated with what we describe. People that are truthful, uh, facts, truth matters, a social individual, not Margaret Thatcher's atomized society where Margaret Thatcher famously says society doesn't exist, there's only individuals. People are inherently social and relational. And so what we found is that uh, 
management on the ground in real highly automated robotized things they need this of uh, these virtues and if you like for in Vatican purpose moral commitment by their workers now our question at then is all right what is the moral commitment that management will make in return for the kind of moral commitment they um, they have asked of workers happy to answer any questions on that but that's that's tying together both the technical and the ethical aspects. I want you to take me to the floor of a car manufacturing plant. So what does a robot do? You mentioned spot welding, but is there anywhere else that you might find automation? If you got over top of a, um, a big auto plant in a helicopter, you would see that that uh, first part, but you build a car out of parts, spot welding on all those edges at the front end of the factory, that is 90% robots, if we exist, approximate. The rest of the plant, is, there are relatively few robots. I mean, these are arbitrary numbers, but if it's 90% of the, the basic welding for uh, the uh, parts of production, it's maybe 20% in the rest of the plant. Two reasons for that. Two interesting things happen. One is partly because of the uh, sheer complexity. Putting a car together is very complex. A computer has about, uh, about 3,000 parts in it. A car has 30,000 parts. Now, an airplane has 300,000. Robots are good at very specific tasks, spot welding of metal blanks into parts uh, as you build the frame, etc., for the car. But the assembly line is so complex that robots are uh, of very little use because it's too complex. Partly because all the options of the cars now, you see hundreds, you buy a car, there's hundreds of options you go through. It adds complexity and robots are good for simple tasks. Those can be isolated. For, for the rest of it, and there's been billions of dollars uh, spent trying to automate the whole assembly line. They have largely had to take that out to use the management that the automotive auto workers union and the management now uses on the rest of the fabric you need cobots machines that help people robots try to eliminate people cobots try to help them so it may be so simple as uh, a woman assembly line worker has got a 100 kilo uh, door that she has to move and she needs a torque arm to assist her that's what you're seeing now in the rest of the place so the theme changes from very simple tasks that are pretty well completely robotized to the other complex tasks where the technology tries to help people now uh, because of the complexity of the operation. So they're there, but they're mostly to help workers, not, and then, but also because of the complexity, you need worker training to upgrade their skills to manage this. So they're probably looking at a computer, it's not Henry Ford, it's putting a rivet in every, you know, every 10 seconds, but they're probably looking at a screen that's giving them a data feed, and then also Cobot to help them with, with uh, sometimes inspection, sometimes uh, assembly tasks. So very different flavor. But overall, what they come away with is that people, and ultimately church purposes, ethics is still absolutely on the assembly line and necessary for both sides to the labor side and the management both to address. So you mentioned that humans need to complete complex tasks like 
attaching a door to a car frame. And communicate with each other, to communicate with the system, to communicate with management. Wouldn't it be possible in the future for a complex enough robot to complete these tasks without people being involved entirely? I don't think so, given the ongoing complexity of cars are more and more complex as we go. So I don't see an end to that. Secondly, it's just like the much hyped and overhyped thing of cars that drive themselves. Uh, the software and the sensor systems are, are not able yet to deal with the complexity. Simple thing, you're driving down and something appears from behind a hedge out in the road. You don't know if that's a dog, a soccer ball, or a kid. And the software can't interpret that in time. So as people now say, there'll be driver-assisted uh, robotics in the car. And indeed, a modern car, you can't turn it on, you can't start it, you can't turn it without software. I think you may have driver-assisted activity. But the navigation sector, even in these taxis now uh, and trucks, they are insisting on there being a driver uh, inside the car. So I think it's a long way off and we'll have other other layers from environmental to other things on top of that. So I don't, I don't see, unless you can find a way to simplify, nothing I see so far will, in the next 10 or 15 years anyway, okay. uh, we'll take care of it. I've talked about the manufacturing side. I might say a little bit about the service side. Here it's, uh, it's a really equally interesting and in some ways more daunting that um, most people understand in the 20th century, it was Henry Ford's assembly line that was the reference industrial organization, ultimately for the whole economy. The way I currently look at the service economy, uh, it's not Henry Ford's assembly line. It is instead the Amazon fulfillment model. I'm speaking as an economist now. The Amazon fulfillment model, I think, will be the reference form of industrial organization and productivity going forward. But Henry Ford's assembly line was premised on dividing labor more and more fragmented, more and more simple task. The old Charlie Chaplin, modern times uh, movie going forward. The core technology in the Amazon fulfillment line, uh, fulfillment model, is surveillance, comprehensive surveillance. So the moment an assembly line person checks in, she boots her iPhone to instead of punching a clock, and it is doing everything, including monitoring her heartbeat, other uh, all those we see uh, for consumers, these biometric uh, applications that's being used on workers, telling them then when they can go to the bathroom. This is a form of control, and of course Amazon's also surveilling the customers. So it's it's a complete. Uh, thing that has real problems. I was recently dealing with this in a, um, a hotel uh, hospitality situation in the United States. And there you've got AI agents monitoring the housekeepers. Now, most of these housekeepers are immigrant and women. And if they're not keeping up with what the algorithm says, it barks at them. Well, if you want to talk about from the church perspective, it's the dignity of the human person is the central economic thing. Well, having an app bark at you, well, in that case, the union ran a campaign against it. The, the new technology, they don't need uh, applications that bark at them. These women immigrant workers actually need a panic button because consumer behavior and client behavior is so spun out of control of our traditional norms that the amount of verbal, physical, and sexual abuse that uh, frontline workers in service industries like hospitality are receiving, they need 
the technology that protects them, not surveils their heart rate or barks at them. So this is just that other area. The next stage of the Vatican project is going to look at service industries and how the technology, uh, it's sometimes called, we all know the term industrial revolution. Sometimes economists talk this new stage of things as the logarithmic revolution with lots to explore. Why is it called logarithmic? Because the algorithm starts managing. And ironically, in many of those situations, it's not labor that's eliminated. You still need the labor interface, but it's actually the lower levels of management supervision get eliminated. So the computer talks to the bedside nurse or nurse's assistant in the name of the patient. This gets a little strange. Yeah, it definitely takes away some of the dignity. Which is the church's big yeah, it's... yeah. Let me just say, my summary of this is that a lot of work may be done on a better human interface, computer interface on the front end. That's true. But with these issues of control, of surveillance and such, you actually actually have to rethink the architecture as a whole. It's not simply getting more friendly interface. And that's where a lot of um, serious research, lab experiments and everything else needs to go on. You mentioned that this model that Amazon is taking in their fulfillment centers is what you see in the future of... I think it's become, become the model or the norm for um, service delivery. That's, that's what I mean by it. Do you see robots ever taking the human suffering that happens in that away from the situation? There is. I've talked primarily here about industrial robotics. There is a, another area of robotics called social robotics. And most people will say, most researchers will say, that the leaders in, in uh, social robotics are in Japan, partly because they have a so rapidly an aging population but also, it also has to be said, the uh, development of social robotics, particularly aimed at care, the elderly, is a very mixed message. There is, um, if we look in our society and most European society, American society, most of the society, care for the elderly is often done by immigrant workers, non-white, to be blunt about it. I don't want to be too provocative, but there is certainly resistance to immigration in Japan that forces them to look at social robotics from that point of view about who will, because they do not rest as comfortably with foreigners. That has to be said. To close off, do you think the future is bright for us with this possible social robotics coming into play? I think social robotics will grow, but it's growing from a very low base. I was in, recently in a hotel, and I was sitting in the lobby in a major hotel in Montreal, and I watched a robot taking all the dishes from the dining room to the robotic dishwasher and back again. I don't know the management should have said uh, the lobby of the hotel should have been the pathways. <laughs> Their clients and visitors are watching dirty dishes go by, but there's, there's a supplemental role. But you still need, I think, in the service center, particularly the care industry, which is, care industry goes from, you know, medical to hospitality, etc. There will always be a need for that human interface. I think the robotics may support, as well as the general automation, and the data systems may supplement that, but it's not going to replace the person uh, on the counter or wherever else. 
where there's a direct uh, client facing person, I think that uh, it's the human moment is all going to be there. And uh, the, but even overall, I mean, the I think the category that we now called uh, artificial intelligence is a misnomer. These machines don't think. I mean, the ordinary language processing capability are, are still w lagging behind the diagnostic imaging. I mean, image processing are the leading edges currently in artificial intelligence. And that's really important. It's something like diagnostic imaging. But that's very different than uh, people being worried about in the future they're going to be surrounded by machines that are smarter than them. We don't have these thinking machines. So our artificial, quote, intelligence is, I think, a bit of a misnomer. You've been listening to the JCR, a Massey podcast. I'm Pranjil Tiwari, and joining me was Peter Warian. The JCR is a production of the Junior Fellows at Massey College at the University of Toronto. Thanks so much for joining the discussion. 